After scandal after scandal, controversy after controversy, many people may be wondering, why are you still Catholic? Well, we're going to tell you why we're still Catholic next on Countdown to the Kingdom. Hello, I'm Mark Mallett from Countdown to the Kingdom and thenowword.com. And without any further ado, I introduce my colleague from New York. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Danny, you, um, for a moment there, I thought it was uh, Patty from Ireland and not Danny from New York. <laughs> I've been taking a liking to this hat here. It's my Irish newsboy hat. People, oh. Some people make fun of me for it, but it makes me not need to comb my hair. So that's what I'm doing from now on. So I'm going to church. I like it a lot, and I'm sure that our viewers out in Ireland will have much appreciation for your headgear there, young fella. <laughs> See, I'm not even going to try an Irish accent, even though I am Irish. I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> even though you're from New York, where all the Irish came and settled, you know? Yeah, yeah. The red just, hair, you, you've got red hair, though, so are you Scottish or Irish? 100%, no, not 100%, close to 100% Irish. Ah, That's there just, it is. I don't, I don't speak of the other little bits of Swedish in there, because I'm not, <laughs> not, proud, not proud of their, what they've been up to recently. <laughs> well, I could tell you now, you just got a whole lot of new fans from Ireland. And <laughs> if I keep talking like this, though, I end up starting to sound like a, a Newfoundlander, you know, from, from Newfoundland. <laughs> hey, Mark, Mark on the rock. Uh, I love all these accents out there. Um, the only accent I don't do well is my own because I've just lost it. So, um, no, no, we still we still hear it. Do we, you hear the whenever, Canadian accent, especially with the word "about"? You know, because oh, it's, it's never about. It's a boot. <laughs> it's a boot. So you hear it, eh? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> we boot do. A boot. <laughs> we know it's there. That's right. Can't hide it. Well, we, you know, Daniel and I, uh, we're excited about this show because I, I think we're going to upset. A lot of people are going to make you mad. Yes. Yes. Some people are going to get mad. Some people are going to be very encouraged, consoled. And we hope we do all of those things, because if we do, I think then we're doing God's will in this show. So, you know, Why Still Be Catholic is is the name of our, our, our show. And, uh, you know, you, you look at what's going on in the headlines and has been going on for a number of years, and we just keep seeing scandal after scandal in the church. This this one here with uh, Father uh, Rupnik, um, who's been now Daniel. You know a little bit more about it. You pointed it out to me because I haven't been following it. But I think this priest has been appointed by Pope Francis to a higher position. Is that what it is? Or he was, well, as far as I know, Pope Francis hasn't himself appointed him to anything. And I and I could be wrong. I haven't been following all the details. But he's is it's basically a known fact that he's he's a rapist. I mean, uh, and I won't even I won't even say here the unbelievable grotesque acts he's been he's been committing and that's been testified to publicly now by so many that that i'll you know i'll let the courts figure out the verdict right. but but from now it seems beyond clear that he's guilty of these atrocities and instead of being excommunicated and thrown behind bars as he should have been he's just been given a, an appointment in a diocese which clearly i mean i, I don't right. see how this could have happened without the approval of the pope considering that this yeah. this controversy already reached the highest levels uh, in, in previous months. Yeah, I mean, the Catholic World Report here saying it's impossible to absolve Pope Francis of ultimate responsibility for this. And, and, and you know, it's just controversies like this, uh, like the one in Spain, uh, for instance, where we, we've, 
you know, BBC came out with a story this six days ago, Spanish church, sexual abuse, and the Spanish bishops came out and apologized, although they disputed the scale of it. But, you know, they're apologizing. They're admitting that there was this problem. And, I mean, it's the same thing in Portugal. We know it happened in Canada. We see it in Switzerland. Uh, we know it's happened in, in Boston. We, we saw it, you know, years ago in France, pedophilia cases, French clergy. Again, this is two years ago. So, you know, I guess my own diocese as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in New York, my bishop just, just (laughs) my former bishop who I grew up under, he was just, he, he had all these scandals and he, he decided to get married. (laughs) He was a bishop. He wasn't allowed to do this. He decided to get married after, after retiring Right. And uh, he, God rest his soul, pray for him. He just died recently. But but just about the most sick situation you can imagine. This right. is my own diocese that I grew up under. So yeah. uh, if if anyone is, has this this temptation based on what's going on in the church, it would be me. But we'll talk about that in the upcoming uh, minutes here. Right. And, and you know, again, our theme is why are we still Catholic after all this? Mm-hmm. Of course, in the in the the news has been a lot about. Uh, laundry. This is 2015, but I mean, the, the, it's still going on. Uh, questions about laundering at the Vatican Bank, uh, resignations of people at the top, people being let go, who uh, has created its own controversy. Uh, and so, this one had, had money going to like uh, luxury real estate in London, I believe, instead of to the poor or something like that, if yeah. I recall this story correctly. It's just uh, crazy. Yeah. So, you know, w- w- what I wanted to point out, you know, and we could go on and on, but we don't want to. Um, the The fact is there are scandals. There are many scandals in the church, and there has always been scandals. And if you go back 2,000 years, uh, the, the biggest scandal that rocked the church at the very beginning was Peter, the one whom Jesus said on, on this, Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter denied him. He he swore. He cursed, and he denied Christ. And and then you know we're talking about the Vatican Bank and, and these scandals at the Vatican Bank. Well, the the banker for the apostles was um, Judas, and mm. Judas was known, as it says in the Gospels, to be stealing from the uh, money bag. And then for thirty pieces of silver, he he sold Christ, and and Christ was crucified. So. We see right from the very beginning there's been scandals in the church. So, uh, on the one hand, while you and I, I know we're grieving over the things we're seeing, you, you can't put headlines up like this without it being heartbreaking. Just one priest, just one priest abusing a child is enough for tears to fall from heaven for all of us. Because unlike a, a president or unlike a... Um, a police officer or a judge or an actor or actress who might commit this kind of a crime when it's a priest, you have someone who in theology we understand is he's there in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. We call him an alter Christus because his vocation as a priest flows from the priesthood of Christ. So it is it is such a scandal but when we see all this, so what, what I'm saying is when we see all this, Daniel, you and I are sad, we're grieved by it genuinely, and it creates huge hardship, and at the very end of the spectrum, you have people leaving the church. So this is is a tragedy without words, but at the same time, brother, it's been happening for 2,000 years. When Christ established the church, he didn't say, you shall henceforth be perfect. He said, you will be perfected in essence. Mm-hmm. 
And these these trials they happen for a reason. You don't. You brought up Judas from the beginning there, and that greatest scandal, you know, the, the betrayal of of Judas, that brought about the crucifixion of our Lord. You can't imagine. You know, Dante has him in the lowest position of hell for a reason, because that's, that's where he is. But even that was within the permissive will of God for a reason. The greater the greater these unbelievable scandals, the greater we know the greater good that God is going to bring from them eventually. And that's hard. That's so hard to see in the time I know, but you have to have faith and trust that it's going to be in scripture assures us in uh, the first letter of St. Peter, he says in scripture for a little while, you may have to suffer various trials. Why? So that the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this test is for a reason. It is refining gold and fire. And the the church, the bride of Christ, will be victorious through it. But we are called to persevere, to be have this patient endurance, which we're also called to. Maybe the biggest scandal of all 2,000 years ago was the fact that God himself hung upon a cross and was spat upon and mocked and appeared absolutely powerless. He appeared absolutely defeated. And the Catholic Church teaches that the Church is going to follow her Lord in her own passion and death. Well, if that's the case, the Church herself is going to look like she's defeated, that she's covered in spittle, that she's covered in scandal and mockery. And we'll go through that passion, and we are going through that passion. I really believe that we are now in the process of passing through that passion. I think we're in Gethsemane, if you want to put it, a, you know, kind of a, a comparison. We're, we're passing through this time where our bishops are scattered right now. Um, actually, now that I say that, I'm going to just bring that up right now. Um, this was October 24th, Daniel, that Our Lady gave a message to um, Pedro Regis. And she said, Dear children, pray for lack of true shepherds, many sheep will scatter. Many will stray from the true pasture and be lost on false paths. I mean, this is what, this is what's so grievous about these new headlines is, is it's driving people away to false paths. And she says, I suffer because of what is coming for you. You are heading towards a future of doubts and uncertainties. Whatever happens, though, she says, remain firm in the truth. And so, Today, Daniel and I are going to share with you why we're, we're still Catholic, in fact, why we love the Catholic Church. Daniel, maybe, if you don't mind, maybe I'll begin just by sharing a, a little experience I had uh, last Please week. Do. I was at a Catholic Church, I won't say where, it wasn't my own Catholic Church, it was in the United States, and I, I was there and the, mu- the music was just dreadful. <laughs> Uh, it, it was awful, and you, you know what that's like. Uh, and uh, you know we're going through a crisis right now in the Catholic Church, where, you know, uh, it was in 1903 that Pope Pius the Tenth, uh, you know, he said the Antichrist may already be on Earth, but you know back then. The church was glorious. I mean, the, the the Latin Mass had all its glory and its lace and its candles and its incense and its Latin chant, and it was beautiful. But at the height of that, 
The Pope is saying that there was apostasy. He already saw that there was a disease, a lack of faith that was ebbing away at truth already then, and that apostasy had entered the church. And now you see what we have today, a, a church where our architecture is bland. It, it looks, it, it's, it's nothing of the glory of its previous days. Um, partly it's practical because you, if you build a church like that back then, uh, it would cost us, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars today. But still, you can build something that's beautiful and you can, we, we can still make beautiful music and, and we're not doing these things. Yes, we choose not to. Yeah, we choose not to. I mean, I, I was listening to the music. I guess you taste of that. Weeks, but <laughs> What's that? I didn't. I didn't hear about this. So you you had oh. you you had a taste of that firsthand recently. Or? Well, and the, you yeah. know, and I've had, well, I've had. I travel, as you know, as a singer songwriter and a Catholic speaker. I've traveled throughout North America. I've been to uh, maybe hundreds of parishes by now, and I, you know, and I've had the chance to take part in liturgies that are beautiful, that are sublime, that have left me in tears, and others that have left me in utter tears of boredom. I mean, I left this parish Some last week. And I looked at my wife and I said, how do our young people even keep their faith mm-hmm. in this context? How did they keep their faith? I mean, in the, you know, just everything about that Mass was just... But you know what kept me there? And this is what I'm getting to. The point what kept me there was I knew what was going to happen on that altar is that the priest was going to speak these words that Jesus gave him that gave us the church at the Last Supper. This, take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he said, same thing with the cup, take this cup and drink, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, shed for many. And Jesus said, do this in memory of me. And Jesus didn't say, take this bread which is a symbol of my body or this wine which is a symbol of my blood no in john chapter 6 jesus explicitly says my flesh is true food my blood is true drink whoever eats my body and drinks my blood has eternal life and the word for eats is actually the greek word for chew it actually means mm. whoever chews whoever eats my body Very and literal they were scandalized, right, Daniel? Mm-hmm. They were scandalized. Understandably so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Crazy. Cannibal. <laughs> right. It, so but, what did they do? What did they yeah. do? when he's, And he goes on about this for a while in John 6, the Bread of Life discourse. And what do they do? After he insists upon this repeatedly, they walk away. His disciples start walking away. And then, and you know, I know many have emphasized this, but what does Jesus say after they walk away? Does he say, oh, hold on, I didn't mean that. As, as you're taking it now, <laughs> that, was, that was a symbol. No, instead, he lets them go and he turns to his apostles there and he says, will you leave me also? And what's Peter's, you know, what's Peter's response to Jesus' question there? Yeah. Will, <laughs> will yeah. Uh, what to was whom, <laughs> Peter's response to, is, to whom shall we go, whom, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is where we're at right now in the church, is where shall we go? Now, I know there's many people watching this right now. They'll say, oh, that's an easy one. I'd just leave the church. In fact, I was sitting on a bus in, in the United States. I was traveling the United States last week with my wife on a, on a business trip with, with her. And um, this woman across 
the aisle, we started into a conversation about our, our faith, and she was a Christian, but she says, I, I don't go, you know, I don't even go to church. She says, I don't, I don't need religion. She says, I, I have my Bible, I believe in my Bible, and I live in my Bible. And so we started talking about that, and I said, well, <laughs> basically, the church, religion, I said, it, it, religion isn't the goal. Religion brings us to the goal, which is union with God, but it was Jesus Christ himself who established the church. And so she's, she's looking at me intently, and I said, Jesus looked straight at Peter, and he said, Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my what? My my um, my nice group? My group hugging? Right. <laughs> he says, I will build my church. And St. Paul says the pillar and foundation of truth is the church in 1 Timothy 3.15. So, then what do we see in the New Testament? We see the uh, apostles going out and appointing presbyters and deacons and bishops throughout the church. Jesus Christ himself established, with the beginning, with the twelve apostles, he established that church in what we call a hierarchy, because it was to them and to those twelve alone that he gave the, the Great Commission, go now and teach the nations all that I've taught you. And keep in mind, folks, that when Jesus taught, it was often only to the twelve apostles that he spoke. It wasn't always to the seventy-two or to the throngs, the multitudes on the hills. Often he was confiding things personally to the apostles. And and one example of that, Daniel, is we have, uh, I believe it is St. Irenaeus, if I pronounce that correct, mm-hmm. to whom... Uh, they they speak about the coming of this kingdom, what you and I have been proclaiming on these webcasts about a coming era of peace that is is based right in Scripture, all the prophets, the book of Revelation, of this coming era of peace. And it was, I think it was Irenaeus who said that we have this on the word of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, and that John spoke of these things as he heard them from the Lord. And so we have the guarantee of these things based on what was given through the apostles. So, I'll just pause there and let you jump in, because I'm sure you have something to say, but basically, the whole idea of the church is Jesus's. And Jesus didn't say, on this rock I will build churches throughout the world. On this rock I will build my church. One church, Mm -hmm. one mystical body. Amen. And so we're not, this is not an idea we came up with. We're we're simply taking Jesus' most important words in the gospel at face value. And we're not trying to stick a human interpretation on top of them. It is beyond obvious that Jesus founded a specific institution with a real hierarchy on an individual person, Peter. And that institution, there is only one successor of that today. You can go to the even the Wikipedia page. You can even the secular researchers realize this, and not to mention supernatural faith, which should make us realize it more. Go to Pope Francis's Wikipedia page. Click preceded by. You'll go to you know Benedict the Benedict the Sixteenth. Click preceded by. You'll go to John Paul II. Click that two hundred sixty-six times. Guess what? You, what you'll get back to Saint Peter. There is no other church you can do that with. You might get back to some random guy who decided out of nowhere he was going to make his make up his own church you might you if you're you might get back to luther or calvin or wycliffe or whatever maybe several hundred years ago or eastern orthodox you might get back a thousand years you will never get back to saint peter and jesus christ himself unless you go through the apostolic succession 
of the one holy Roman Catholic Apostolic Church. That is the only place you will find this. It's our only link to Jesus Christ. You know, I, I bought, I wish, I don't have it here, Daniel, but I have a Bible that I bought several years ago, and I opened the front cover, and you can see the list of all of the successors to Peter, right? It was, I think it was Benedict the Sixteenth when I bought it, and it goes all the way back. You see all the names right back to Peter. I remember looking at that page, and it just, it jumped out at me, and I, I just looked at it, and it was like living, this living apostolic tradition. And when we speak of tradition, we're using a word that St. Paul used, as he said in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, I believe, he said, you know, make sure you hold fast to all the oral and written tradition, oral and written. So all the letters that they had, and of course, the Old Testament that they had, but also the oral tradition, and for 400 years... It was, that was pretty much all that the churches relied right. upon. There was no printing press. There was no Bible right. until the I think it was the Council of it was at Hippo, I believe, um, and maybe Nicaea. Forgive me if I get it wrong, but the, there's two bishops councils in the fourth century that finally put together the canon of the Bible that we have today. Martin Luther, I think, removed some of the books. The Anglican, Got rid of seven, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they took away some of the books. But the Catholic Bible is the Bible of the early church. It's the Bible that all of Christianity, all of Christendom, held as true. And by the right. way, as Dr. Scott Hahn said, nobody disputed the, uh, the belief in the Holy Eucharist for at least the first thousand years of all of Christianity. So if you were a Christian and you were born 1,200, 1,300 years ago, you would have believed that what the priest said on the altar and what he did changed, transubstantiated that bread and wine into the literal body and blood of Christ under the disguise of bread and wine. So that obviously so that we could consume him. And right. so this without, is our tradition without, without without dying because we can't handle his unveiled presence, and that is a mercy. Yeah. You know, it said there's two miracles at the at the transubstantiation. First, the transubstantiation itself. Second, the preservation of the appearances, the accidents of bread and wine, so that we can handle it for now. But yeah, and, and even some of the Protestant revolutionaries uh, still defended the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Of course, Protestants today don't do that almost unanimously. But you know, as Scott Hahn also said. The New Testament was a sacrament long before it was a document. As you mentioned, it was centuries before we had the canon of Scripture settled. Was, did, was Christianity absent? <laughs> they, they couldn't sit down with their Bible in their own rooms and just mm -hmm. kind of be Christian on their own. There was no Bible then. So are we saying they weren't Christians? Of course not. They, as you'll see in Scripture itself, they gathered together every week at least. In fact, every day, preferably, give us this day our daily bread. All the fathers said that's daily Eucharist. But they got together for the breaking of the bread, for the reading of the prophets and the law, for the preaching from, uh, you know, one of the ordained. And they confessed their sins. They received the, the, the anointing of the sick, all the sacraments. They're right there in Scripture from Jesus himself. And they were, uh, they were practiced from the beginning. And we see that preserved to this present day in the Catholic Church. So when, when we're tempted with doubts, as perhaps Peter was there in the very beginning when, when the Bread of Life discourse happened, we can say, to where else shall we go, Lord? We don't have to have necessarily all the answers if we're tempted, but we can realize that there is nowhere else to go. The Catholic Church alone has the fullness of the truth. And you, you, there, there are, there, there's a couple other churches, I suppose you could say one other, that has the sacraments, but even that, 
the Eastern Orthodox, even they don't have the yeah. fullness of the truth. Well, St. Irenaeus said in 200 AD, he said, the church, having received this preaching and this faith uh, from the apostles, although she is disseminated throughout the whole world, yet guarded it as if she occupied but one house. She likewise believes these things just as if she had but one soul and one in the same heart. And harmoniously, she proclaims them and teaches them and hands them down as if she possessed but one mouth. And, you know, Daniel, this is one of the big reasons why I'm a Catholic. Um, And I have shared, I think, in a previous webcast how I almost left the Catholic Church. Uh, I was tempted to leave. It was to go to a Baptist church where the music was, was awesome where the, the, the proclamation of the word was anointed, and, and where the, the community especially was just loving and beautiful. And I almost left, and make a long story short, the Lord spoke to me that night and said, stay and be light to your brothers. Um, but one, So what I did after that is I embarked under a, an investigation into the church. I bought every cassette tape from Dr. Scott Hahn and others, Dr. P- Peter Kreft, and, and all of these different philosophers and apologists in the church. And I studied for years uh, to, to learn my Catholic faith. I had to know. I'm a, I'm a journalist by trade, and I had to know my faith for myself. I had to find the answers myself. And what I discovered was that the teachings of the church on everything we Catholics believe, from you know Mary, purgatory, the communion of saints, this wasn't these things weren't things weren't invented in you know uh, 1500 with the Pope sitting over coffee with a few bishops decided to whip up a doctrine. These things come right from the sacred scriptures, not always explicitly, like the word Holy Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but it's there in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son. And and I discovered, and I fell in love with the Catholic Church again, and I realized that what Jesus said, His word was true. When He said to the apostles, I will send you the Holy Spirit of truth the Spirit of truth who will lead you into all truth. What Jesus said was true, Daniel. And for 2,000 years, it's been one voice, one heart, one accord, as St. Arrhenius said. This is what we have to this very day, despite all the controversies we have today in 2023. We know the truth, and the truth has been unchanging. Amen. We, it's unbelievable. There's so much I want to say about that, and maybe we'll do more webcasting this in the future, but the Holy Spirit is the soul of the Catholic Church. That That's actually dogma. You can find it in, in Leo the Thirteenth in the Catechism, in, in St. There's The God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, is actually the soul. And, and maybe this is somewhat mystical language, but it's true. It's because it's magisterium. It's the soul of the Catholic Church. So God himself is actually animating every single official act of the Catholic Church, not every single opinion of the Pope. We, there's a number of major problems there, which may, which we've gotten into in our, in our last webcast. Maybe we'll get to briefly today. But the sacraments, the actual magisterium, the, the, the sacred tradition, the sensus fidelium, the liturgy, this is from the Holy Spirit. And if it were just a human institution, this would have been guaranteed to fail long ago. Because Long ago. <laughs> I mean, guaranteed, like from the beginning. Yeah. The Catholic Church, this is just kind of my, this is my little explanation here. 
I'm not, I'll scandalize you with what I'm about to say, but I'll explain it in a moment. The Catholic <laughs> Church is the flimsiest and weakest institution that has ever existed. Yeah. And yet, it is the largest institution and the oldest institution in the history of the world. How is that possible? What do I mean, first of all, by saying it's the flimsiest and weakest institution? The Catholic Church teaches that it is infallible. It says that whatever is proclaimed ex cathedra by a pope is guaranteed infallibly to be true. No other institution says something like that because they realize that all, it's, all, all it needs is one contradiction to, to yeah. completely refute. And the whole house comes down, right? Yeah. And the whole house of cards falls down. Yeah. So no, no other institution has ever done that because it, it would be way too big of a risk. The Catholic Church has taught that from the beginning. So it's as if every single one of the last 200, uh, every single pope we've ever had, you know, 266 if I, if I recall correctly, it's as if each one of them has had a has had a big button sitting on his desk saying, destroy this church. And he can just press it anytime he wants. <laughs> all, all, all any pope has to do is teach the contradiction magisterially, teach ex, ex cathedra, teach the contradiction of what a previous pope has already taught ex cathedra. And at, at that moment, Catholic church would be eliminated. It, its authority would be... Right, completely refuted, and that and has never, never happened. Once happened. It's never once happened in two thousand years. That can years. only be explained by a miracle, yeah. by a continuous miracle, by the divine protection of the Holy Spirit. For our Protestant uh, viewers or others, um, when we say ex cathedra, that word means from the seat. It's from the seat of Peter, and when a pope actually speaks ex cathedra, and it's and it, and it it's very rare in the church where a pope will define a doctrine, you have to understand what he's doing is not making up a new doctrine, but he's defining what we have already believed, what was already handed down to us. So, and uh, for instance, the Immaculate Conception flows from the our belief of Our Lady, Her Virgin, uh, her virginity and the virgin birth, uh, the, the immaculate nature of her heart, and the theology flows from that. So we really define what already was, even though it wasn't necessarily explicit in Scripture. And so, and then we had a beautiful confirmation of this where Our Lady herself appeared to a little girl, Bernadette, St. Bernadette, and said, You know, I am the immaculate conception. She hadn't heard that the Vatican just had proclaimed right. this. So we have little confirmations from heaven. And that's that's maybe another jump off point right there where Yeah. You know that's big. <laughs> yeah, it's big where we Good. have uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. I know it's on your heart. Sorry. So, I'm, yeah. so, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in here. I'm sorry. You were on to something, though. What were you- <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, we have, we have this beautiful mystical tradition in the church where mm-hmm. you don't see it in evangelical churches as much. You do see prophecy. We do see miracles among evangelicals because, as even Jesus said, and we consider them to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, let me just say, I, you know, I've grown, I grew up going to a Pentecostal youth group. I participated in many uh, Protestant events that would, you know, watch Billy Graham on TV. And, you know, I recognized the Word of God when I heard it. I recognized the Gospel when it was there. And many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are evangelicals are faithful. They're on fire. They love the Word of God. Which is why we're kind of on fire about this show, because we, we want to tell those brothers and sisters, there's more. Um, yeah. If if you're only going to a Bible believing church, we want to tell you we as Catholics we're Bible believing. We're the ones who put together the Bible. Our bishops and those councils put it together, and the Word of God tells us so much more 
as this woman said to me on the bus, Daniel, she said, you know, well, I've got the Bible, I believe in the Bible, but, you know, I turned to her and said, well, your, your Bible says that, you know, Jesus says, take and eat my flesh, and eat my, and she just, you know, she's looking at me, because she doesn't know quite how to respond to that, um, and, and other things that the scriptures say, but the, we have the Eucharist, we have all the seven sacraments that are right in the Bible. Um, lay hands on the sick, says St. James, and heal them. And well, that's called the anointing of the sick, the sacrament of the sick. We know that the sacrament of, of matrimony comes right from the book of Genesis. The two shall become one. God himself ordained marriage, which is why, by the way, the government, President Joe Biden, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, hands off, this is God's institution, not the institution of the state. And so, you go through all the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, which is the, the sealing with the Holy Spirit, which is Pentecost. You, you, uh, we have the holy orders, as I just said earlier in the show, appointing presbyters and deacons and bishops. This is the, the sacrament of holy orders. And then, uh, what am I missing? Uh, the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation, in which in the book of James it says, confess your sins to one another. And so we've talked about this in the past. Well, who do you confess your sins to? Your hairdresser? Your pillow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. Your taxi Hopefully cab Hopefully to the one who has the power to loose them. As That's Jesus right. said to the apostles, that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's a guarantee from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And no That's prayer right. that he offered can ever be anything but fulfilled. That's why we know the kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his greatest promise. But he also prayed... That, that the faith of Peter would not fail. That's why we know we can always trust that the Pope's actual magisterium will never teach formal heresy. We'll get to that. But uh, every single word of Jesus Christ, he's <laughs> God. Every single word he prayed is guaranteed to be fulfilled. And he prayed for Peter. And he gave Peter the authority. And he said to the apostles, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you lose. So we go to these successors of the apostles, the bishops, who send out who? The priests to hear our confessions and to absolve our sins. And if you hear a priest say to you, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, it's absolved, it's wiped out, it's gone. You don't have you to worry about it anymore. What are you waiting for? It's so easy. Just get to confession. Yeah. Hold nothing back. Confess those sins and you will walk out of that box a new creation. It, like it's God is giving us everything for free. And we just, we just, we, we reject him. It's crazy. It's, it's absolute insanity. But, you know, you mentioned this. We've got our separated brethren here. Absolutely. You know, you guys, the, the Protestants, they've, they've got baptism. Praise God. They've got marriage. But they're missing the other five sacraments. Right. And they're also, even those who have all the sacraments, the Eastern Orthodox, they're missing the fullness of the truth. They don't, a thousand years ago, they separated themselves from the vine. And as Jesus said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. We have to abide in the vine, and without that, we don't have the fullness of the truth. And since then, you know, we talked earlier about Peter saying, to where else shall we go? And people, some Catholics today, seeing the chaos in the church, are thinking, well, maybe I'll go Eastern Orthodox. No, right. they, they've capitulated. You think that they haven't capitulated just because they did centuries ago, so they're not in the news for it anymore. They've got uh, the Eastern Orthodox don't even think about going there. That's formal schism. That's one of the sins that separates you from the body of Christ. Even if you have the sacraments, those are necessary for salvation. They're not sufficient. The Eastern Orthodox, they've capitulated on divorce. They accept divorce. They accept contraception. They don't, they don't understand original sins. They don't believe in the Immaculate Conception. They don't believe in... We're filming this here 
on the Feast of All Souls, you know, where we pray for the Holy Souls in Purgatory. They don't even have uh, clear teaching on Purgatory. They don't believe in that clearly either. So the, this lie that you've been hear hearing from certain theologians who are saying, oh, all we have to do is get our date of Easter lined up. That'd be great. I'm all for that. That's, and then they say, oh, everything else we're fine on. We can just we can just have union and that's it. No, that's a lie from Satan to try and force Catholics to capitulate on dogma. We have the truth on marriage. We have the truth on sexuality. And by claiming that we're the same as Eastern Orthodox is, is basically a way of saying we need to leave those dogmas, those doctrines aside. And that is yet another reason the seers have all been warning us. Stick with the true magisterium. Stick with your catechism, no matter what some theologian with a million letters after his name says. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Stick with the true magisterium of the Catholic Church. And and like we said with the evangelicals, there's so much good um, among evangelicals and also with the orthodox. And this is why John Paul II prayed that we would breathe with both lungs. So, you know, certainly don't misunderstand what Daniel is saying. I agree with what you're saying, Daniel. Uh, there is one church that Christ created and, and you know, we have to stay in that church. In fact, let me just read what St. Athanasius said. Uh, because, you know, speaking of, of the Orthodox, I mean, you talk about the mysticism and the Desert Fathers and, and uh, so much of the spirituality that comes out of the Eastern is so crucial uh, and we're, we're lacking it in the West. So I, I pray, as do you, that the two lungs will breathe again, that the Orthodox and Catholic will once again come under one banner, one shepherd, one flock, one fold. Jesus prayed it in John, and it's right. going to happen. It will happen, yeah. It will but happen. that one shepherd is the Pope. <laughs> There's no, you know, we're That's not going right. to be under the Orthodox. They're going to, all this ecumenism, all this, this great, but, but the real, what we really mean when we say that is them coming into the Catholic Church, not the Catholic Church compromising with them. Mm -hmm. We have the magisterium. They don't. So, you know, when, and I think when, when JP, too, prayed about breathing with both lungs, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I think he was talking about just East and West in general. And, of course, we have Eastern, Eastern Rite Catholics. I go to Eastern Rite liturgies regularly. Uh, you don't need to go Eastern Orthodox to, to breathe with both lungs, to be Eastern and Western. That's you know, right. I love the Ukrainian Catholic Rite liturgies. <laughs> I got, I've got a Ukrainian Catholic church near me and a Ukrainian Orthodox church near me. And some people don't understand the difference, but there's an infinite difference. One right. is part of the one holy Catholic apostolic church. The other isn't. So we right. got to be so careful there. We can never uh, depart from the communion with the Catholic church under the pretense that, oh, Orthodox are the same. No, they're not. They are not. That's schism. That's, a, that's really bad. <laughs> don't go there. Saint, yeah, and you know what? I had one of my readers actually did uh, depart. She'd had enough of Pope Francis, and she left for the Orthodox. And I, I said, "That's not good. It's you. You can't. You can't leave. There's only one bark." And as I've said before, mm -hmm. if you jump off the bark, the only thing you're going to hear is splash. So. Yeah. Uh, you got to stay on the boat that Christ created, and as we said, he didn't promise perfection. He didn't promise there wouldn't be sinners. In fact, he said, I came for sinners. So, it's sinners who come into the fold, and when you come into the fold, primarily through baptism, you're all, you, know, you have to go through a process of conversion, and I'm still going through it. Daniel's already there. He's perfect, but... I mean, <laughs> but uh, I started. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like we're just starting, and... Um, but you know, I wanted I, this before I forget, because you, you, we, we talked about the sacrament of confession and Jesus. What was the first thing he said after the resurrection? 
He passed into the room. He said, peace be with you. And he breathed on the apostles. Mm -hmm. And he said, whose ever sins you forgive are forgiven. I mean. I forgot that. Yeah. yeah, That's even clearer. Right there. That's right. This is why I'm saying that your hairdresser, you can tell her your sins, but she can't absolve you. (laughs) She can hear your confession. She can't absolve you, though. And this is one of the reasons why I love the Catholic Church. And I I have to tell you that the sacrament of reconciliation is so beautiful. I have gone into the confessional sometimes so oppressed, so broken, so kicked by Satan. You know, you're such a sinner and feeling just crushed in in my true weakness and have left there as if I have risen from the dead. And you'll recall the words of St. Faustina, Daniel, beautiful words Jesus said to her that were a soul even like a corpse were to take advantage of this miracle of divine mercy, I would restore that person to the full. Um, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's the gist of it. If you were like a corpse, a stinking, rotting corpse in your soul. So that's one of the, another huge reason. And of course, that's why Jesus died on the cross. I think that's why he entered the upper room. And the first thing he says is, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. So understand this. This is why the church is so important. The church is the sacrament of salvation itself. The church teaches this. She is the sacrament of salvation. That is, the church has the authority to forgive our sins, taking the authority of Christ and applying what Jesus did on the cross to us. So when my priest, who is also a sinner, like everyone else, takes that authority and says to me, by the authority invested in me, I now absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go now in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, man. Hallelujah. Just me saying that right now, I get excited. Because it's not that priest who's forgiving me. It's Jesus forgiving me through the priest and in the name of Christ and and what Jesus has done on that cross. And that's just, I mean, God is so practical, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He knows what we need. He knows we're going to fall. Unfortunately, (laughs) you you might just sin again. (laughs) <laughs> you watching this video might just happen, and I hope it doesn't. But if it does, you know, we the somewhere inscription in the New Testament says, you know, do do not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate, and the the full power, the whole full power of that Holy Spirit is indeed applied through the sacraments, which operate apart from the holiness of the priest. It doesn't matter if he's a sinner. It doesn't matter how unworthy he is. If he if he's a priest and he says those words. And you approach that confessional, sorry, even if your sorrow isn't perfect, you're sorry for your sins, you approach that confessional, you, re- you, you confess them, he absolves you, it's done, over with. And th- this is an absolute ontological metaphysical guarantee, it's infallible. And you get this in the Catholic Church. So for those of you who are tempted, thinking, man, you know, all this chaos, if I could just, I could just walk out right now. Nothing's stopping me. There's no law stopping me. There's, no, there's nothing physically stopping me. Yeah. Look, look at what you're doing. It's like I think of the Old Testament and Esau. You know, squandering his inheritance for a bowl of soup. That, that's far. You're doing something far worse when you let these temptations that the chaos of the church now is foisting upon you compel you to even toy, to even toy with this idea of walking out of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It's not worth yeah. it you think your life will be easier if you don't have to go to mass every sunday don't have to go to confession for your serious sins don't have to 
Yeah. You don't have to avoid, con- you don't have to reject contraception. Maybe that's your thing. You don't, you don't have to, um, may- maybe you think, oh man, if I weren't Catholic, I could, I could accept my, my family member's lifestyle. That's, that's objectively sinful. Maybe you're thinking about all these things that would make your life easier. If only you weren't a Catholic anymore. That is this temptation from the devil. And you are, you are being tempted to, uh, to squander your inheritance for a bowl of soup. You got to reject that from the onset. You got to pray whenever you feel that enter in, you resort immediately to prayer and it'll fly from you. And I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what I would do without hearing physically hearing those words. And Jesus knew that, right? I think I, I've shared with my, our viewers, maybe last year I shared with them, um, what, what was said by a criminologist who said that often they'll keep cold cases open looking for a mass murderer or a criminal or, you know, who's committed a murder. They'll leave that case open for 10, 20, 25 years because criminals, they say there's something in them that they have to confess. They have mm. to tell what they've done. And it, it's just they got to, and they'll slip it off and it'll be just a slip of the tongue. They'll tell another inmate and that inmate, you know, maybe to buy a bit of freedom, we'll, we'll let it out. And so there's something in our heart where we have to tell. In fact, a psychologist I remember reading years ago once said that he said, I, I'm not a Catholic and I'm not trying to, you know, endorse the Catholic Church. He said, but what Catholics do in the confessional, that's what I try and do in my practice, is to try and get people just to open out and put their sins out. He says, because 80% of their healing happens by just talking about their their junk about what they've done all the mess that they've made so you know it, the, and you can say that you should say that to god directly absolutely as you know the evangelicals say yeah. yes but guess what you're not going to hear anything back unless mm-hmm. you're one of those unbelievably rare seers and you need to hear something back you need to hear back i absolve you of your sins and you'll only hear that through a priest and you might hear someone else say that but it won't mean anything the only place you'll hear that and have it mean anything is from a priest. Yeah. And as a footnote to what Daniel just said, just to clarify, uh, in the Catholic Church, we teach that when it comes to mortal sin, and St. Paul lists those sins, some of them, in Galatians chapter, uh, I think it's five or six, where he talks about, you know, those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, murder or adultery and so on. When we commit those sins, they're called mortal sins because they're so, their nature of them is so grave. And when we willfully know that we're doing them, it separates us. We are cut off, not from God's love, but from His grace, His sanctifying grace. And, and those who do such things, St. Paul said, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, because it is a is such a, a mortal sin like this, it's a blow to the whole body of Christ. It separates us from the body of Christ. And so Jesus has his representatives through the bishop, the priests, who then reconcile us to the body of Christ. However, if you commit a venial sin, for instance, if you uh, watch this webcast and you get mad at something I say and you swear at me, it would probably be a venial sin. Uh, the Catechism teaches, and it's a beautiful teaching, that it actually doesn't break friendship with God. It wounds love. It wounds our relationship with God, but it doesn't break friendship with God. And I find that so encouraging because, you know, I, I'm I'm a daily sinner, not by choice, but, you know, do, do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength every second of every day? 
I, I'm almost positive I don't. And, you know, this actually brings us to the next, maybe another point, which is the logic of the church. And a lot of people think that the Catholic Church, you just gotta, you just gotta believe whatever they tell you. It doesn't make sense. It's just believe whatever they tell you. And actually, that was not my experience. When I went through that conversion years ago, my reconversion to falling in love with the Catholic Church again, I found so much logic and reason. Um, as the saying goes, it was, you know, I was surprised by truth. Um, it was beautiful what I discovered, surprised by the logic and the reason. And, Purgatory is exactly that. Because if I don't love my, my the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, but I haven't committed a mortal sin, so I haven't outright rejected God by my sin. But if I die tonight having sworn at Daniel under my breath, it was an act against charity. And that is a stain on my soul, but it's not enough to separate me from God. Purgatory and that lack of charity, because God is love, and wherever I fail to love in my heart, that has to be purified so that when I'm united with God in heaven and I I receive the beatific vision, I see God and we're united to Him heart to heart, whatever is in my heart that is not love has to be purged beforehand. And so purgatory is actually flows right from the heart of Christ. It's Christ's mercy for us. Because if we didn't have purgatory, Daniel, I would suggest that those of us who had sinned, we would be separated. We would we would have to go to hell. We would be separated from him because we could not be united to God. It's God's mercy that allows purgatory. And so purgatory isn't a second chance, as some Protestants say. Oh, you Catholics, you teach that you get a second. No, you don't. When you die, you you've chosen your path, either heaven or hell. But if you're not perfect in love, purgatory is a mercy in which you'll be purified and prepared to be united to God. Yeah, it's the, it's such a great mercy. People sometimes succumb to this temptation of looking at it as this as this horrible penalty, and of course, it's the absolute opposite. We we should all aim for going directly to heaven when we die. But if we haven't arrived at that state yet, praise God, He gives us this chance to purify ourselves. This mm-hmm. life alone. Is a theater of eternal destinies. Your destiny is your eternal destiny is sealed upon your death. But we have the chance for this final purification since nothing unclean can enter the presence of God. That's absolutely clear in Scripture. So what does a Protestant do, or even an Eastern Orthodox do, looking at that, saying, "Okay, I die not perfectly pure, not perfectly clean," and, and most of us, if we are honest, will realize we're not. And yet, only perfectly clean, only perfectly pure things can enter heaven. There, there's a gap there. And if there's not something to fill that gap, we're doomed to hell for all eternity. Praise God, Catholic Hallelujah. dogma. This is a dogma holds that purgatory is there for yeah. those who need it to be purified before they're ready to behold the face of God. But it's not just that. It's everything. I mean, the, you, you could not imagine something with the consistent, the internal consistency and the external verification of Catholic teaching. And this is not just something that, this is not some story that someone came up with that only has to keep up appearances for a small time this has stood the test of 2000 years nothing in the whole history of the world ha- has has achieved this level of intellectual prowess and we're, this is just a minor reason to be catholic and yet it's absolutely clear the greatest minds in the history of the world has been catholic i can't think of anyone smarter than saint thomas aquinas for example and he's just one of of these unbelievably uh, intellectual giants that we've been blessed with in the Catholic tradition, mm-hmm. but you can make you can just boil down to the very basics, and from these very basics as well, 
it flow it, it follows that you must be catholic that's the ultimate reason for why are we catholic why still be catholic because catholicism is true there is a god like mm-hmm. as a philosopher i can prove to you that there is a god with absolute certainty from reason alone and in fact catholic teaching also holds that god's existence can be knowable from reason alone so there is a god that yeah. god became man in jesus christ never in the whole history of the world have 11 men have 11 individuals much less all the other christians died for absolute conviction in something that later proved an absolute conviction of what they saw of something that later proved to be a fraud never that can't happen no not one person would die for something they knew to be a lie 12 certainly wouldn't all the apostles went to their death proclaiming absolute certainty in the resurrection of jesus christ some people say oh it's just the bible is just one book no it's not it's 72 books and, and, and the New Testament, we've got all the different Gospels, the Acts, the letters, the epistles, all of them testifying to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's not to mention all the other sources we have testifying to it implicitly. It is a fact that God became man in Jesus Christ. There's no explanation for him. He made it clear repeatedly that he is God. He proved his trustworthiness by his miracles and above all his resurrection. God exists. Jesus is God. And what did he do? He founded one and only one church. There's no other church that traces its foundation and its continuous lineage back to Jesus Christ. So what are you going to do to to reject Catholicism, to not be a Catholic? You've got to just reject the truth. The truth leads us to this no matter what angle we approach it from. Do you want to follow the truth? Be a Catholic. And the word Catholic... And remain Catholic, and the word Catholic actually came, uh, I think it was around the end of the first century, it, it, it was just another word that was applied to Christians. The word Catholic actually means universal. And I, I remember years ago, I was a teenager, I was at an Anglican church, and they prayed the Apostles' key, Creed, and they, they prayed, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. <laughs> and it caught me off guard. <laughs> and so I, I did a little bit digging and realized that, you know, they, they were saying we believe in the one universal church. And so that term, we are Catholic, uh, just became another way of describing the Christians in the early church, and it did for hundreds and now thousands of years. And one of those Catholics was St. Athanasius, who in 360 AD said, let us note that the very tradition, teaching, and faith of the Catholic Church from the beginning, which the Lord gave, was preached by the apostles and was preserved by the fathers. That is, the early church fathers, the, the first men to receive from the apostles themselves the teachings. And that's why we often quote the early church fathers here on this show, because they were the ones who helped to develop the doctrine of the apostles. He goes on to say, On this, on this teaching, was the church founded. And if anyone departs from this, he neither is nor any longer ought to be called a Christian. Well, I, I'm sure some people out there are a little bit inflamed by that. You're, you're saying that I'm not a Christian because I'm not a Catholic? What, what I'm saying is what St. Athanasius is teaching here in the early church when the whole world, all of Christendom, was Catholic. They, they all considered them Catholic and Christian. They said anyone who departs from the teaching of Christ and the apostles that has been universally handed on throughout all the world, as they would say, through all the world, anyone who departs from that teaching, from the church, 
is uh, is no longer to be considered a Christian. And that meant, in that time, it, it certainly meant to depart from the Catholic Church, and it still means that today. Right. The, the, the rule, the basic ground rules have not changed, and they never will. Mark and I, you know, I've been saying this for almost 15 years. Mark has been saying it for, what, almost o- over 20 or something now. This is what all the seers have been warning us of. Don't act surprised that we're now seeing the very thing Private Revelation has for decades been warning us of. We t- we started this webcast talking about the chaos in the church, and we're, we're not at all trying to deny that. We're not Pope splainers. We're not trying to, we're not just people saying, oh, everything's fine and dandy. Everything the Pope says is fine. No, the great apostasy, since you know, I think especially Father Gobi, but tons of other seers, they've been warning us that this great apostasy will reach the very heights that divine providence could possibly allow it to reach, but not one inch further. The mm-hmm. fact that we're seeing that now shouldn't surprise us. In fact, it should excite us that the era is coming, the chastisements, yes, but the era is coming soon, the era of peace, the triumph of Christ. So th- that these things are happening is our call to raise our heads for redemption is at hand, as Jesus says. It's not our time to abandon ship. None of the seers have said that. None of the seers, have, none of the authentic seers have it, said, yeah. oh, this now's the time to reject the Pope and, 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 and to leave the church. No, they're all saying stick with the true magisterium. What was the religious message you just had on there? It said abide and uh, basically just stay true to the faith, persevere. Yeah. Remain a good Catholic. You're wondering if if everything you're doing is enough, and maybe it's you know we should all pray and sacrifice better, but just by persevering in your trials, remaining a good Catholic, keeping on reciting that creed, keep going to mass, keep the commandments. You have no idea how much value there is in that by simply rejecting those temptations, remaining as a good Catholic, offering it all up to Jesus. You are building up enormous treasures in heaven. Stay the course. Stay the course. Persevere in the faith. It it would be, I think it would be extraordinary if all these apparitions throughout the world that we've been quoting, that our Blessed Mother wouldn't at least once say, oh, and by the way, the Pope you're following right now is was invalidly elected. Oh, by the way, the resignation of Benedict the Sixteenth was invalid. You have an anti-Pope in the seat, and so it, it's really interesting. And you raise an excellent point. And those who follow Countdown to the Kingdom, you need to understand this. Our Lady keeps saying, "Follow the true Magisterium." And so, just a brief example of this: if the Pope comes out t- today and says. You must follow uh, the carbon tax, and you must pay your carbon tax. Look, this isn't, you know, he might be basing it on some sort of moral premise, but, you know, if he comes out and says, you know, pay 12% carbon tax, well, that's a dis- that's not a magisterial teaching. I mean, because our economists might say, you know what, it should be 11%, and there, here's the reason. So, when, you sit, when Our Lady says follow the true magisterium, she's talking about the Pope when he's teaching the faith that was handed on to him. And Pope Benedict and Francis himself has said, he said, Pope Francis said, despite the personal whims of the Pope, he says that the role of the Pope is to be the guarantor of obedience to the to sacred tradition, to that what was handed on to him. And Benedict said the same thing. So again, our Popes aren't these monarchs who can wake up in the morning and create a new doctrine. That's not the case. Um, it's not going to happen. You stay, You can stick with your Bible, stick with your catechism, and you will remain safe. You have that assurance as a Catholic. So stay the course. Stay the course. 
is is there more in your heart that you want to talk about, Dan? Because I know we try and keep the show under an hour, but I I, I want to talk for hours. But are we uh, <laughs> we uh, only got a few seconds here to go over an hour, so I guess we can go. Will we'll, will you guys stay with us if we got if well, we go well, slightly over an well, hour? Would you mind if we? I I, I honestly I, I really feel that there's more to be said, and I, I'm I'm I don't want to cut the show short. And I know a lot but of people. It's, but well, I'm glad. Okay, so we can we can you said the word cut but can we keep going <laughs> oh yeah we can be, because you okay. know you know a lot of people uh they look at the time and we we understand this they look at the time and as soon as you go from 59 minutes to one minute psychologically but the goal people are like i can't right i don't have time i'm not going to watch this but we know many of you are listening and i think you're hungry and i sense the spirit still has more to say um i mean for for me uh, the beauty also of the mass uh you know, I remember years ago, Daniel. I was, I went, I was invited to to sing at t- Toronto at this service. It was a Pentecostal service, and I get there, and there's 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 this choir up there, and to the right of them is a like almost like a small symphony, and then there's a rock band up there as well, and I mean it's a it's a one massive production, and I get up there, and the, one of the first things they do is they take up a collection, they sing. Pastor gives a, a message, then I sang, and then there was something else, and then the service ended. And I mean, it was on TV, it was televised. And then I went to uh, the University of Toronto where my friend, Father Guy Trudell, a beautiful redemptorist priest, uh, he's a redemptorist now, um, was, was, uh, I was, I went to his residence there. And uh, he asked me, he said, well, have you been to Mass yet today? And I said, no, no, Father, I, I was singing at this thing and I need to find Mass. And he said, well, I, I haven't said Mass yet. Why don't we go down to the chapel? And I, I remember Father saying this Mass and he did it part in Latin and he, he just chanted a little bit and there was no music, there were no fireworks, there were no lighting shows, there was no sound system. And when it came to the words of the consecration, I was so deeply moved. I was I was weeping at the presence of Christ and it was it was like the Lord was showing me the contrast. Nothing wrong with doing music well. Nothing wrong with that at all. I'm 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 for that. I'm a musician and I really make a point when I do mass music that it's beautiful, that it's contemplative, that it draws people into the mass. But this naked word of God in the Mass, and I realized that the true beauty of the Mass is this living tradition that has been handed on to us for 2,000 years that even finds some of its roots in the Jewish traditions because the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. It doesn't nullify it, doesn't erase it, it fulfills it. And so that's why we, we have priests who still wear robes, why we have candles, why we have incense, it's drawn from what was in the Old Testament, which were shadows of what was to come. And so now our candles and our robes and our incense all have new meanings, all related to the priesthood of Christ. And it's beautiful. And I encourage you, if you're not a Catholic, explore these things. Because so many evangelicals, Daniel, they pass off this stuff mm-hmm. as, oh, you Catholics and your 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 traditions and these man-made rites. And... and it, it so misses the point of, of, of Christ's own words that he came to fulfill the Old Testament. And so, I, you know, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but the, the Mass is so beautiful. And we know the Mass is hurting right now. It's suffering in many places. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. essence is still there. Yeah. 
It's and and you can feel it if you just go, and anyone can go. Only a, a practicing Catholic in the state of grace can receive communion, but anyone can go to mass. And whoever you are, whether you're a, a, whether you're a lapsed Catholic or a Protestant or a Jew or an atheist, please just go to masstimes.org. It's very easy. Find the nearest mass to you, the most convenient, and there's going to be one wherever you are. There's, there's, unless you're in North Korea, and if you're in North Korea, you're not watching this anyway. So wherever you are, there's going to be one, relatively close and accessible. Just go. You can just sit in the back. You don't have to. No, no one's going to harass you. No one's. There's not going to be a bouncer checking your Catholic card before you go in. Just go and experience it. I, that's why I go. That's why I've gone every day for 15 years, and it's been the greatest grace of my life. I don't. It doesn't matter who's saying it. You know, there's all this endless chaos. We talk. We started talking in the beginning about just the chaos going on in the church. None of that affects my my daily mass. You know, I I, I don't hear the LGBT nonsense or, or the or the crazy politics stuff and the abuse. <laughs> I just I go to mass. I hear scripture the first half of mass. I'm hearing something from the Old Testament. I'm listening to the Psalms. I hear the gospel. We th- then we go to the liturgy of the Eucharist. We have prayer of the faithful before that. The priest says the same words Jesus did in the gospel itself. The words of institution. We pray the Our Father. We have these beautiful prayers of the new uh, the third edition of the Roman Missal that that really lift you up to heaven. And we we receive communion. We're sent. I can't think of a better way to start my day, and that's why I start every day that way. This is how the early Christians lived. This this was their life. And you will only find this way of life in the Catholic Church. And if you have that, if you already have that gift, don't even think about giving it up. You have everything right there. You could die any day. God could deliver you from this passing life any day. Hold on to that incalculable gift of faith, that pearl of great price that he's given you. Because you can't even begin to fathom what you've been given in this. Yeah. You know, St. there's just a single mass. Go, going to a single mass, you, you've built up enough treasures in heaven that if you could see what you've done from the other side, you would willingly suffer a whole life of the greatest agony just to build up that amount of treasure in heaven that you've built up by participating in one mass. In and that grace, yeah. you have every, that, you, that, that unfathomable grace could be every day if you want, or at least yeah, because, every week. Because Jesus said, Whoever eats my body has eternal life. So uh, if you eat the body of Christ once, even just once, you've been given that gift. But I, as Daniel said earlier in the show, the a lot of the early church fathers understood the words of the Our Father, um, give us this day our daily bread. They understood that as the daily Mass to receive Jesus daily. And it's not always possible, but what a gift and what a grace and what Daniel just described a moment ago, he just went through the Mass and described it. Daniel, you've probably seen it in the, the Office of Readings, and I can't remember the apostolic writer of the time, and I think it's around 1 to 200 AD, so forgive me if I'm, I'm being rather general here. But the Mass described in the early church is exactly what you said. The people, there's an entrance, uh, there's, there's, you know, you, the Gloria, and then you, you have the penitential prayers, you have the reading of the Mass, the, you then have the consecration and the distribution, and this is so beautifully described 1,900 years ago or so, mm-hmm. 
exactly. I, know. As I wish I could today. remember which father you're quoting now, but it's it's true. And I'll, and I'll, even yeah. though I also can't remember the father, the individual father, I'll vouch for Mark. And it's amazing how this father of the church in the very beginning, like so early that no Protestant could possibly deny that this is original Christianity. He's describing the Catholic Mass. Yeah. Not, he's certainly not describing a random evangelical service of Joel Austin going on about prosperity gospel for an hour. Right, right. And and again, I, I've been to these evangelical services. I've been uh, gone to them uh, from time to time when I was younger. And, and many of them were, were beautiful, inspiring, and the love and the worship was, was beautiful. Um, you know, but during the COVID um, lockdowns, Daniel, I... The pre, the, you know, the church wanted us to do these spiritual communions, and f- I have to be honest, uh, we, we did them as a family where we would pray that the graces that we would receive in the Eucharist, we would still receive at home. But to me, I, I, I actually hated them. I, I, I actually hated them. I don't mean to say that to be blasphemous, but to me, the idea that this could replace right. receiving Jesus Christ in my body and on my tongue... Um, and and just the the fact that we even shut down the churches, which is a whole other topic, was just so wrong. And it, it taught many of us, and I, I know I've talked to other Catholics who feel the same way, it's like we were being starved, little children being starved for a master, which I think is one of the big trials that will be coming probably to us in perhaps not the long, not too distant future, is we will be deprived of the masses on a much more serious scale. This has been prophesied, not only, of course, by prophets and mystics in the church, but above all by Scripture, the elimination of the, the daily right. sacrifice. Which is why that was, uh, that was a preparation for the Antichrist, I believe. Yeah, that's, I, think that, right. I think that's why we started Countdown, you know, just, just before that, having no idea that that was mm-hmm. coming. The day we start Countdown, what was it, the Feast of the Annunciation in 2020? Mm-hmm. That was the day the Mass was abrogated. Here in America, at least, yeah, we, we couldn't have. So it's like the, this this convergence. You know, mm-hmm. this we can't forget that we're in apocalyptic times. Too many people have forgotten since COVID, and then now we're seeing World War Three coming. The next phase is at the door, and this is the most important time ever to remember to stick with the faith and persevere in it. it which is why we've done this show is because we we haven't said it, but until now there are things coming in the world that are going to shake the faith of believers. That's the catechism. I think number 675 in the catechism. A trial is coming that will shake the faith of believers. And I I believe it's going to be both spiritual, but who of us hasn't been shaken by what we've seen taking place in Israel on both sides? The inhumanity on both sides of this conflict is is astonishing and this is what our lady as we said in the previous webcast she warned at rwanda that this was coming to the whole world so there's many things that are going to come many things that we're going to see that are going to shake our faith and and if satan would have his way to shake your faith completely not just in the catholic church but your faith entirely um when we see people dying on like psalm 91 10,000 at your side, you know, falling. Um, ch- our children but suffering. But you it will never touch. And then it says, yeah. that, that, but you it will never touch. And by you, it's speaking you. When the Psalms speak to you, it's those who persevere in the faith. God's will is absolutely supreme always. And he's got a plan. No matter what happens moving forward, he is still absolutely in charge. And you need to believe that. He's got a plan not only for the world, mm-hmm. but for you. Not only for you, 
but for your loved ones who I know a lot of you are staying up late at night worrying about. Stop worrying and start praying. God loves them way more than you do. Mm-hmm. And he's going to give everybody an overwhelming last chance of mercy at the very minimum at their last chance, at the last moment of their life. So less worry, yeah. more prayer. Yeah. Amen. I have a scripture that we'll end with uh, that I think is a scripture of hope. But before we do, one more thing about the church, because I knew we weren't done. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one reason why I love the church, and I think it it really goes to the heart of the core, the core of the church. We are one holy, catholic, and apostolic church church. Um, it was or- origin um, Church Father in 230 AD. Did I pronounce that right? I, I, I don't mm-hmm. have my Latin fathers down, but uh, Origen said the teaching of the church, this is in 230 AD, the teaching of the church has indeed been handed down through an order of succession from the apostles and remains in the churches even to the present time. That alone is to be believed as the truth which is in no way at variance with ecclesiastical and apostolic tradition. So, St. Paul was the first one to begin to speak about tradition when in 2 Thessalonians and elsewhere he talks about holding fast to both the written and oral tradition. But this is a really crucial thing for people to understand. You know, I was talking again to that woman on the bus. Well, I don't need religion, but Jesus says you do. Jesus says you do. I'm building my church on the rock of Peter, and he said to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. So, when Peter dies, what happens to those keys? Well, the early church understood right away at the very beginning that these were offices, that the twelve apostles were each given an office, a divine office from Christ. How do we know this? Because in the Acts chapter 1, they they had all these believers, and yet Judas had committed suicide. He died, so there was now only 11 apostles, and it says that his office was left vacant. And so, they drew uh, straws or whatever to choose a successor to um, Judas. Now, why would you do that? If you've got all these believers, dozens of them at least, you know, after the after the resurrection and growing probably by the day, those who fell away after the crucifixion probably were starting to come back. So you've got dozens at least of believers. Why would you need then to fill an office if there wasn't an office, if there wasn't right. a role that had to be fulfilled? And so this is what we see is Matthias is chosen as the successor to Judas. And since that time, every one of those bishops, when they died, unlike the popes, we have all the names of all the successors to Peter's office. We have many of the bishops, but not all of them, because you know, you've got hundreds and then thousands throughout the world. So, we have certain amount of record-keeping. But the point is this. When those men died, a bishop was appointed in his place. And this has been going on for 2,000 years. And the point is this. The church, Jesus gave us a church. He gave us a structure. He gave us a hierarchy. And even though the church is the mystical body of Christ, it is still organized. Otherwise, Daniel, we'd have chaos. Yeah, it would have failed from the onset. 
and instead it has thrived like nothing before in history. There's over a billion Catholics today, and yes, many of them are in need of, of repentance, but look at, this, look at the fruits. Jesus said, you know the tree by its fruits. Every schismatic from the original Eastern Orthodox schism onwards, every so-called reformer from Luther onwards, they all thought they were finally reverting to original Christianity and starting the true church. All of them have petered out into nothing compared to the Catholic Church. Every trial the Catholic Church has seen, the Holy Spirit has caused her to, caused her to triumph over more than the trial itself cost her. Look at the Protestant revolt itself. Our Lady of Guadalupe comes and creates more converts for the faith uh, than, than were lost in Europe. And, and guess what? The current trial of the church and the coming trial of the church, the warning is going to make more Catholic converts than ever before from that. Catholicism, all it does is win. And yes, it has its struggles, but ultimately all it does is win. And heaven itself is the Catholic church. It is the church triumphant. In heaven, everyone will be Catholic. So join heaven now. Mm -hmm. If you're not in heaven yet, you can join heaven on this side of the grave by becoming a member of the mystical body of Christ, which is the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church wins because Christ wins, because Christ mm -hmm. is the one who triumphs in his church. He promised, he said, after he said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, he then said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why the church always wins. So mm -hmm. what, we're what we're saying today isn't, isn't a triumphalism where we're like, oh, we're Catholic, we're the best, we're the most, you know, awesome, and you, the rest of you churches are losers. You know what? If anything, we can sit here in front of this camera today, as you saw at the beginning of this show, our church is wounded right now. The Catholic church is hurting. Um, it's, it's one woman said to me, she said, all the churches are corrupt right now. And that includes the Catholic church. But yet, at the very core of the church, which is why we are still Catholic, is you have Christ, you have the truth, which has been preserved for 2,000 years, even though we have bishops today who are trying to test it, trying to change it, they will not succeed. No pope has ever succeeded uh, in, in ever changing the dogma of the faith. That, that is impossible. Christ won't allow it to happen. It hasn't happened. And so we have this one holy Catholic universal and apostolic church. And it is Christ's work. It's not the work of man, as, as you said earlier, Daniel. If this was the work of man, it would have ended in the first yeah. century. It would be done. We have popes that fathered children, that sold their papacy, murdered. that yeah. murdered, uh, that uh, you know used it, their papacy for political and wealth and gain. Uh, is Pope Benedict yeah. once said, he said, Peter is at once both the rock and sometimes the stumbling stone in the <laughs> church. And yet none of them press that button, that button, that big red button that's been right <laughs> in the middle of their desk for 2,000 years. And that button says, destroy this church. And any of them could have pressed it, and not one of them did. You cannot explain that except by the, ver by, by the intercession of the Holy Spirit, who preserves the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church alone, because every other denomination, including Eastern Orthodox, has succumbed. Only the Catholic Church hasn't. Despite all the sins of her hierarchy, including the current Pope, the actual magisterium remains pure. The sacraments, it's still preserved. And it always will be. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the consummation of the world. And that promise will never fail. 
You know, if the Pope hits that button, what do you hear? <laughs> Get your hand off that button. <laughs> we, we got it covered. <laughs> well, this is, you know, one of our longest webcasts, but I really feel it's okay. Um, even if a lot of people won't click on it, those who need to, who the Holy Spirit will lead, I believe they will. Daniel, in closing then, I just want to get you, if you could summarize why are you still a Catholic brother? Why after everything that's gone on? Oh, and there goes your camera. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, I'm has, sorry. Can you hear? Can you hear me still? I, yeah, I can hear you. Daniel has I, left I, the I, room. I do not know why my camera just turned off. <laughs> okay. Well, while you even though out, you can't see me, yeah. I promise I'm still a Catholic. Daniel, hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well there is nowhere else to go where else shall we go as peter said to jesus you have the words of everlasting life to that is still spoken today through yeah. the catholic church that's Even right you can't always see it just as you can't <laughs> see me right now but you can hear me <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> yeah, pra praise God. Well, you know, and that's it's a good note to end on because you know what? We we have to keep our sense of humor. And I, yes. I think the trials in the church are, are really only beginning. And uh, we need the, the good humor of St. Lawrence who, when he was being roasted as a martyr, he said, turn me over, I'm done on this side. So um, <laughs> I did say I was going to close with a very hopeful scripture um, because we are... Uh, as many of you know, we're going through uh, a, a great trial. We are now passing through um, a great storm. And uh, we, we've shown you this, uh, well, I, it, it was there before. Uh, we've shown you this, time, this storm, and we've talked about it so many times, the seals of revelation. But you can see where they're leading. They're leading to not only an era of peace, but ultimately to the final coming of Christ. But regarding this storm that you see on your screen right now, this is what Jesus says. And this, this includes all the trials that we're going to go through physically, but above all, spiritually. He said, Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell upon the earth. Revelation 3.10 because you have kept my word of patient endurance. And that patient endurance, brothers and sisters, includes enduring what we're going through in the Catholic Church. Just always remember, the Church isn't Pope Francis's, it's not John Paul II's or any Pope or any bishops, it's not mine, it's not Daniel's, it's Christ's Church. And so Jesus is telling you, persevere. Stay the course. Be patient. I will keep you from the hour of trial which is coming on the whole world, which ultimately means I will keep your faith secure. Because this world's passing, this world's passing, what really matters is that you and I get to heaven. Amen. Amen. Abide in me. A twinkling of an eye. This is all over. Stay in his grace. Stay in the faith. And you will see him soon we love you we pray for you please pray for us god bless you god bless you